goodness. Well, it is um, really good to be outside today. Um, if we could sit on the ground, well, like you are, um, amidst the dirt and the critters and all the little things popping out of the ground and doing who knows what around you, um, that would probably be ideal for this series. I would really love that. Um, I know that's not everyone's ideal, but I do really love being outside, especially barefoot. Um, earlier in the spring, I actually went out my back door barefoot to a small garden plot that I had haphazardly planted. Um, quite a mess, really, if you look at it today. But I went out there, and I started picking a bunch of mixed greens. Have fun, kids. Um, a bunch of mixed greens. And then I went straight into my house, and I washed those greens, and I threw them into a heaping pile on a plate for a lunch salad. And with the first bite, the strangest thing happened, at least a rare thing for me while I'm eating, right? Uh, I, I got teary-eyed. I got choked up. And I know to, like, pay attention to those moments. Um, like this. What the? <laughs> um, I know to pay attention to those moments. So I paused. And I gave thanks. Right over my little salad. I realized that after a year full of so much stress, quarantining, and all the social and political and racial strife that had been stirred up, that I was actually experiencing healing right there. I was experiencing the good news, connecting to the land, to the ground, to the dirt, somehow was sustaining me. It was taking care of me. And with each bite of my little salad, I sensed Christ, God, with me. Many of us might not find this so strange, but in the white evangelical culture that I grew up in, I think there's a hesitation to express how spiritually grounding it is to be in creation, to take in all the beauty around us. I now see this hesitation or aversion as one of the effects of colonization. And if I'm going to say that, then I also have to confess that I am a colonizer, wrapped up and complicit in its oppressive ways and hold. Colonization, historically undergirded by the Western church, readily takes words like we read in Genesis chapter 1, 28, which say this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. On and on it goes. Takes these words and turns these scriptures into weapons used to support a theology of exploitation and disconnection. The very opposite of what I understand God moving us toward as a people who find ourselves grounded in place or in the particularities of place, as Anna Billingsley reminded me the other day. So after the time that we spent in the book of Ephesians, considering who we are as ordinary saints, those of us in this particular spiritual location, our attention is now going to move in this series um, to being rooted in place, connected to the land, its story, and all beings in a decolonized way. We're going to pay attention to how connection to the land is connection to God. We will survey the Old and New Testaments, considering the land from which we have come and to the land 
that we will return. Finding our place in the story of God. This locating ourselves in the story of God is our rhythm each fall season here at Trinity. And I think it's particularly important that we connect the story of God to land as we heal and seek continual healing in a world fractured by a pandemic. The effects of climate change injury, <laughs> racialized trauma connected to dominion over land, and the deadly forces used to maintain that control. We're going to start at the very beginning, which we often do every fall. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to take a brief look today at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4, part B, through verse 9. Just a little section, one that I think we easily gloss over. It is a recounting of the creation story, and in it we encounter two Hebrew words that I want to draw our attention to. The first one is Adam, which eventually gets used as the proper name, Adam, in this text is actually a non-gendered noun and therefore best translated as human or human being. I do want to note because I find this very interesting, that in the original Hebrew, chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Genesis don't actually use gendered language except for in verse 27 of chapter 1, and then not again until verses 22 through 25 of chapter 2. But in the beginning of chapter 2, the word Adam refers to humankind. And if we keep reading, it's also interesting to make that note because I think it gives us a whole new perspective on what it means for human beings to partner. In this very short text, God forms humankind, or Adam, from the soil, from the dust, the ground, the Adama, and breathes life, or nefesh, into human beings. Adama is the word for ground or soil. So we have Adam and Adama. I'm going to go ahead and read the text. You're welcome to um, turn there in your Bible app or if you've got some text with you today. I am actually going to take the text from the NRSV version. I'm going to read it and kind of transcribe a little bit as I go. I'm actually going to insert those two Hebrew words for us today. So we might hear it in a little bit different way than we have before, maybe. Verse 4b. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no Adam to till the Adama. But a stream would rise up from the earth and water the whole face of the Adama. Then the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of the Adama and breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and the Adam became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there God put the Adam, whom God had formed. Out of the Adama, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good 
and evil. This is the word of the Lord. Throughout this series, we're actually going to sprinkle in a little bit of conversation around this question. What connection to the land, and therefore connection to God, is this text drawing us to? Before we engage in just a little bit of conversation today, I actually want to just highlight a few things from the text and then provide a little bit of space for us to share our own noticings or stirrings, okay? So the first thing I want to point out is that out of the land, humankind is born. God is depicted as an artist, right, who forms Adama out of, or forms Adama into Adam, okay? Not only that, but God then breathes air, and not just any air, the breath of God's self to give life to the Adama, in which case the Adama becomes a living being. I want you to picture this image, because it's one I don't think we take time to reflect on much. It's actually one of closeness, proximity, or intimate relationship. And I want to use this Hebrew etymological pun, this like play on words, Adam and Adama, to form kind of the rest of our series. As we locate ourselves in God who grounds us to our physical world, where we are spiritually connected to God, who continues to breathe life into us, in and through all the created world. Second, uh, while Genesis chapter 1's version of the creation story indicates that human beings are the last in the order of creation, and so we might want to consider taking our place in that creation sequence with some humility, there is something interesting about, um, thanks, Albert. There is something interesting about this particular account of creation. Humans are given the divine breath, that inspiration. And if we keep reading, uh, we might notice that it's not until later in this version of the creation story that animals are then brought in to the human's presence. But maybe more curious to me is noticing that the first human being is placed in the garden among the trees. So we might ponder the particularity of being placed among the trees that also grow out of the Adama. God has always been about the particularities of place. We see this later in the incarnation, right? God with us in the person of Jesus, who came at a specific time to a specific place and among a specific people. So I wonder what we might learn from this creation account in chapter 2 and how there might be a connection to trees that is woven throughout the entire scripture, like the one that formed the cross. I almost actually brought a painting we have at our house with us this morning. It is of the roots of a tree, and it has some text on it that refers to it being ripped from the ground and being used to um, form the cross. I didn't bring it with me this morning, but it's a beautiful reminder that there is a connection to trees woven throughout scripture, and we might pay attention to the particularities of the first human being placed among the trees. Finally, in reference to verse 5, one commentator notes the parallel between rain and labor, pointing out that both are considered 
indispensable to produce vegetation, plants, and herbs. And the, the commentator notes that the term used before about the streams is really of uncertain origin and insufficient than for the vegetation to, to survive. The suggestion, though, that is made that was most striking to me by this particular commentator was this. The earth remains in a pre-creation state not only because God has not yet done something, but also because no human beings are active. Additionally, the divine purpose for the human, which is expressed in ch chapter 2, verse 15, so later on from our text, is expressed with the word samar, which means to keep and protect. This gives responsibility to the human beings, not simply for maintenance and preservation, but the intra-creational development bringing the world along toward its fullest possible potential. God intends from the beginning that things not stay just as they were initially created. God creates a paradise, not a static state of affairs, but a, but a highly dynamic situation in which the future lies open to various possibilities. Now, oftentimes when I hear things like that, I hear them through this colonizer lens, right? But we might do well to learn from those who have come before us, particularly those who have come before us here on this land, those who are indigenous to the land and who hold a different view of creation. From an indigenous and botanist perspective, Robin Wall Kimmerer, in her book Braiding Sweetgrass, beautifully weaves together stories sharing indigenous wisdom, scientific knowledge, and the teaching of plants, moving readers to experience relationship with creation quite differently, at least differently than I grew up with, right? Freed from what I understand to be a colonizer perspective. We're actually going to take time to discuss this book in our seasonal small group. So if you, if you haven't se seen that email, please let me know. We'll talk about it a little bit more here at the end of our gathering. And if you want an additional challenge in connecting with the land, I would recommend a book called The Land is Not Empty, Following Jesus in the Dismantling of the Doctrine of Discovery. It is also listed on the resource page under this sermon series. Healthy Relationships they're reciprocal. And this is true with the land and creation. So as wanderers, might we begin to see mutuality with God and reciprocity with creation. But in order to enter into this, we need what Walter Brueggemann calls a new land ethic. In his reflection on the work of Wendell Berry and the distortions of relationship between Adam in Adama, Brueggemann makes the point that the land must be freed from the oppression of anyone and anything. I would suggest that this would not only be the basis of a new land ethic, but is the work of decolonizing. I believe it's what our indigenous siblings have been telling us all along. We are being drawn to God in and through creation, connecting us to the land and connecting us to God. What I think is often paired with the curse that we read about in Genesis chapter 3 
becomes freed from the curse itself because it is our origin story. It was true before the fall. For dust we are, and to dust we shall return. Yes, God forms humankind, Adam, from the Adama, and breathes life into us. Life and connection to Adama is something we experience through other ways of knowing, like me crying over my salad plate. We experience healing as we connect through the particularities of place, as we return to the land, the land where God meets us and breathes life into us. And I think this is good news for us today. So I want to open it up just for a couple of minutes for you to voice or name anything that stirs in you this morning, particularly out of that section of text itself, maybe something um, you just want to name or questions that get stirred. Um, and in, in doing so, kind of responding to this main question throughout this series, uh, what connection to the land and therefore to God is this text drawing us toward? Yeah, Michelle. Oh, did it? <laughs> I'll have to listen to it. Oh, interesting. Thank you. I'll have to I'll have to take a look. So she was, if you can't hear her, she was talking about the On Being podcast with Krista Tippett, doing an, inter an interview um, about trees um, and their interconnectedness, and then extrapolating that to humans and community. So, yeah. And 
laying that foundation for humans to exist. So it was literally emerging out of the fundamental elements created through these natural processes, not just on Earth, but beyond Earth and stars that over time laid those seeds. Yeah. I'm not going to repeat all that. It crossed my mind as I was sitting down in my lawn to like put my thoughts together for today. I knew someone would bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? If you, if you couldn't hear Mike, he was just mentioning about running and how when he's done, just paying attention to the organic smell yeah. around him. Yeah. Go, ahead. Go ahead, Albert. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, the parallel between God bringing the, the human from the ground and everything that is meant for, for food from the ground as well, that like parallel happening. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, Amalia, did you have? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of wonder connected to keeping things alive in our home, even even when they seem dead. Um, yeah, Amalia just talking about the plants that in her house that she's repotting or just noticing little shoots coming off. Anyone else? Yeah, that relationship to the earth brings us really into a position of humility. Yeah. Anyone else? Well, throughout this series, we're going to leave some room here and there to have these conversations, to kind of hear what's sticking out to us in the text. Um, and I actually stumbled upon some liturgy, what might be more seen as a poem this morning, 
Um, literally, I hopped on. I was looking for something else, um, hopped online, and I found something, and I thought, oh, gosh, <laughs> this really connects for today. So I thought I would read it as a way to wrap up uh, this morning for us. It is from a group called Enfleshed. They have a website, and they provide lots of liturgy, and you might have noticed in your bulletin, sometimes we pull from their liturgy or modify it for our use here. And um, this, this poem or liturgy is called The Longest Night for the Earth. On this longest night, listen to the wailing of the wind. Hold vigil with the grief of the earth. Remember, from soil humanity was made and to soil humanity will return. Sources of, for, of life forgotten and betrayed. Relationship ruptured by violent ideologies, white supremacy's destruction more reliable than the seasons it disrupts. Power plants grow where poverty does too. Bodies exposed to toxins. Clean air is a luxury. Life choked from water by pipelines and runoff. Consumerism and colonization kindle for fires of destruction. Slaughterhouses cut off all respect for creaturely life. Corporate profits rise, global temperatures too. How weary the land. The night only fades into more night. The sun can't get out of bed. Keep silent all spiritual platitudes. For too long there has been no earth in your heavens. What good is disembodied love to the lakes, to the squirrels, to the plants that feed and nourish you? No, just come and sit and hear the body of God weeping. Amen. You can turn to your Lord's table.